Thank you. I would invite you to take your Bible, or if you could pull up your iPad or your uh, phone and pull up Exodus 13. We'll begin at the 17th verse, looking at this part of, of the life of God's people. This is a new series for me and for our church called Leaving the Wilderness. Uh, I had been thinking and praying about this series for a long season, and then right before Lent began, I thought, you know, after we get through Easter, after we get through Lent and through Easter, this is a series we will go to. Now, I, I had not written it yet, and I had no idea where we would be and where we are right now while when God put this on my heart, but my hope is this will be a spirit-led and a helpful thing for us as we look at, at God's people who are in a wilderness situation. Uh, We've all been in those places. We've all been in times or seasons of dryness or wilderness. Uh, sometimes we can clearly say, I know why I'm there. It's my decisions that put me in this place. There are other times we've been fully obedient to God, and yet we find ourselves in a wilderness situation wondering, how did I get here? And then there are times like in this anxious season where life just has thrown us into a wilderness situation. So over these weeks together, we're going to look at the lives of God's people in the wilderness where they were having to trust God. And, and we're going to ask several questions. Today we'll be looking at what, why are they having to go through the wilderness. It's okay to ask that, to ask why when we're in difficult times, when there's there's been a season of anxiety or there's been a natural disaster. And so God throughout scriptures has received the why questions of his people. And then we're going to look at what did they do? When you're in wilderness, what did they do in the midst of wilderness? And sadly, we're also going to have to look at what are some things they should not have done in that season. But then lastly, how did they come out of it? What are the things that they did that brought them out of that situation? But first this morning, we're going to look to the why. Uh, daily Seedbed Text is a great resource for you and for me uh, for, for devotionals. Uh, we actually have that on our church app. If you look under uh, the options there, the more options on our church app, you can find it or you can go to seedbed.com and look for the Daily Text. They have great series. and I, have, I haven't looked to those series in about a year and a half because, as Ben said, we've been doing the, the Daily Bible reading plan through, for our church. But I just happened to see it by chance on my email this week, and it's about wilderness. Now, I want to say for the record, I had planned to do this series before the Seedbed series started a wilderness series. If you want to check me on that, you can talk to my wife, Sarah. Two, a couple of weeks ago, we were walking, and I just said, I think the Lord's leading us here. I think I'm going to write a series about wilderness. Matter of fact, by the way, that also means you can blame Sarah. She could have stopped this series, and she didn't. All right. What does the author of that seabed devotional, J.D. Walt, say to us when wilderness happens? Because certainly God is not the author of evil. He can't be. He's not. That's not the record of Scripture. But yet we, we repeatedly find ourselves and, and the people of God in times of wilderness. And, and in partly answering the why question, I like what J.D. Walt said in that daily text. We want to get out of the wilderness and into the promised land. But what if the wilderness is God's plan? Not forever, but for a season. What if, in fact, the longer we resist the wilderness, the longer it will last? 
What if the sooner we submit to the Spirit's wilderness work in our lives, the sooner we enter into the destiny of God's promise for our lives? Anytime there is a natural disaster, a pandemic, a crisis, we, we, we turn to God and we ask, why? I remember a very famous preacher in America, once Katrina had happened, he got on his program and said, that Katrina was because of the sin of New Orleans, that God had dropped Katrina, that hurricane, on that city because of their horrible sin. What about, what about the Mississippi Gulf Coast? What about our former pastor, Jim Genesee, who was serving at Long Beach at that time? I mean, that, that town was pummeled by Katrina. Can you, can you really equate one-to-one, that's why that happened to that city. When I was serving at McGee Methodist Church, we would routinely, I've told you before, routinely go to Long Beach and partner with them because of my friendship with Jim. And then one particular day, uh, we, we painted the inside and the outside of Jim's parsonage. And, and I remember they had me painting under the eaves. That was my job, which sadly meant they didn't want anything I did to be publicly displayed. But I also remember painting that eaves just bending six foot four bending back to get it not only the pain in my back which lasted for weeks but also that paint dripping in my face and then Jim Genesee standing beside me that whole time just talking it up how'd y'all put up with that guy Jim deserved that did Long Beach deserve was that was that for sure that was God's judgment you have to be very careful and let scripture preach and teach on things like that. Look, sometimes in Scripture, it is very clear. God will say, this happened for this reason, for discipline or for punishment. Well, let's look to God's Word. Why are they in the wilderness here? What does Scripture say? Now listen, if we, didn't, if we hadn't read this passage, what we're going to say is, well, the reason they go through the wilderness for that length of season, and this is partly true, is because of their sin and their stubbornness and their rebelliousness. That's not what it says here, though. We might say it took them that long, decades upon decades, to get through the wilderness because Moses is a man and he wouldn't stop and ask for directions, right? What does Scripture say? We know ultimately it's always for our salvation and for our freedom, but verse 17 says this, I know that at the very first sign of any kind of conflict, those cowards are going to run home. They're going to run back and call Egypt home because they love security. They love comfort, and I know that where I'm calling them to go, to the promised land, to get them into that and to take it back means there's going to be conflict and there's going to be war, and they're not ready yet. So accomplish my purposes to get them back, but also to accomplish my salvation purposes for the whole world, we're going to have to go through the wilderness for a season to get them ready for what is coming. Sometimes in Scripture you can see that God's hand is working uh, and it's very intentional as to why things happen. Other times in Scripture, and for now, I don't know why, but I do know two things. That whenever we bump into a crisis, first we have this opportunity to repent. Whether it's willful sin or not, there's always in every opportunity in Scripture and in life, there's this opportunity to, and repent doesn't mean just change your life, it means change your mind. And that's what he's trying to do with these people who are so quick to run back to Egypt, to bondage and to slavery and to comfort. Change your mind. And I hope, I hope we're doing that in this season, doing that reflective work. God, 
how is it you want to in this season teach me some things? How is it in this season that God is showing you what's really important in life? How is it in this season that maybe God's helping us to remember not to celebrate my preferences, but to stick to my priorities? Every time we have a a wilderness experience, it's an opportunity to repent, change our lives, yes, but to change our minds for the better. But also in every one of these wilderness situations, Old Testament, New Testament, it is a a time to remember as well, God's always at work. Whether he caused it or not, God will always work. At the end of Genesis, Joseph tells his brothers, you might have meant this for evil, but God is so sovereign and God is so good and God is so faithful that he can take your evil desires and he can work them for good. Paul echoes that as well in the epistle to the Romans. He can work everything for good. All of our hurts, even when we will evil things, he can take that, he's good enough, powerful enough, that he can work them for good. This past Wednesday, uh, John Oswalt talked about that. And I hope you, again, you can go back, as Steve said, you can go back and watch those. We have those up on our website and on Facebook. So you can watch them live, but if you're not comfortable with Zoom technology, you can go back later and watch them. But as he was talking about the trickery of Laban, about how he had tricked Jacob uh, on his marriage night with Leah, John made that statement, it doesn't mean God was not at work. Even through Laban's trickery, God can still work. Even though Laban or Joseph's brothers or whoever that may be meant it for evil, God is sovereign enough and good enough that he can make things work for good. We don't want to let this season go by without first saying, Lord, how do you want to change my mind and my heart about the priorities of my life, about what's important in life, but also when we're in, the, we're in the wilderness, we can feel alone and we can think, God, where are you? And what we see page after page in Scripture is God is always working. Even in our hurts, even in our stumblings, God is at work. And there's two more things at the end of this passage I don't want us to miss. Uh, when we're in wilderness, when we're having questions, we're having real struggles, what is it that Exodus 13 says? And let, listen, it's, it's a real time of struggle. Tens of thousands of people have died. So many, so many families have been wrecked. We're worried about the economy. We're worried about jobs. But even just some of the, the personal things we're going through. Uh, I miss my church family. I miss being with you on Sundays and on Wednesdays and seeing my small group, seeing our staff. And listen, I'm an introvert. If I'm an introvert, I can only imagine how this is killing our extroverts. I know we have some serious huggers in our church. And in the back of my mind, I'm really nervous for that first Sunday when we get all back together and what's going to take place in this room. But I'm willing to take that for the team because I hurt too. I want to be together. It's been a hard season for that. Thinking about families with, with children. My son's a college senior. He's missing graduation. He's missing closure with all of his friends. He's missing, he's, he played for club soccer, didn't play, didn't have a single game his last year, was ready to have that, all those things he's missing. And then you can amplify that if you want to talk about our high school seniors and what they're missing. This, this has been a hard season of struggle in so many ways and for so many people. So what does God say to us when we're in a wilderness season? 
What does he say? Two things. Verse 19. God's not forgotten us. Have you forgotten anything, by the way, during these weeks? Have you ever just looked up in the middle of the day and said, wait a minute, what's, what's, what's today? Right now, do you know what the date is today? I don't even want to ask about your hygiene, what you got halfway through a day and wondered, hey, did I brush my teeth today? God doesn't forget. His refrain throughout the Old Testament is, people of God, don't forget Remember, but here we're reminded God doesn't forget. Verse 19 said that Moses took the bones of Joseph with him. That may not be a big deal to us, but when you get to the end of Genesis and Joseph has said, you meant this for evil, but God meant it for good, the next thing he says is, when I die, take me back. Bury me with my fathers. The next sentence we get, which is the last sentence of Genesis 50, is this. Joseph died, and they buried him right there. That's it. And then you wait. Now, I know Exodus 13 sounds like it's just 13 chapters from that, but we're not talking 100 years, 200 years, 300 years, 400. We're talking centuries and centuries till finally you get Exodus 13. And y'all, in this season of struggle or season of waiting, we can rush things. But God is faithful. Trust Him and trust His timing. Our culture rushes everything. I feel that pressure. I want to rush ministry. I want to rush my own discipleship. And when it comes to ministry, I expect results the next day instead of allowing God's timing on things. Our culture rushes things. You ever been tempted at work to cut corners, to rush what God's going to do through and in your vocation? You ever, you ever tried to press God to rush him for his provision? We rush things all the time. The gift uh, Bill Urey's been talking about uh, the gift of sexuality uh, in his podcast, The Hour of Holiness. I highly recommend that series to you. We rush that. God's given us this beautiful covenantal love and marriage, but we rush it and try to get to that before God's parameters and context for that. We try to rush our kids to grow up so that our 13-year-olds are living lives of 21-year-olds. We rush all the time. What we're getting here in Exodus 13 is we're in a time of struggle. We can want to rush. Listen, God, God doesn't forget where you are. Just this example here, that after hundreds of years, that Joseph said, please go back and bury me. Then Exodus 13 we have, Moses took the bones of Joseph. It's still another half century and more till we get finally uh, to, the, to uh, Joshua 23. But when you get to Joshua 23, verse 32, what do you get? And God makes note of this. Now they buried the bones of Joseph with the sons of Israel, brought up from Egypt at Shechem, in the piece of ground which Jacob had bought from the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem, for 100 pieces of money. We can trust God in a wilderness situation because God is faithful. He keeps his promises. He does not forget us. And I love this last reminder in verse 21. The wilderness, again, if you just go to the wilderness when they get to the promised land and look at the wilderness there, it's a scary place. It's a barren place. The still waters and the green pastures that David talks about in Psalm 23 do not exist. 
It's a scary place because that's where Jesus cast the demon into the swine. It's a scary place because, as we said a few weeks ago in Bible study, that's that road, it's so rough a terrain, they still use the same roadway that they, from Jericho to Jerusalem that they had in the Good Samaritan story. And it's a place where robbers can hide. The, the wilderness is a scary place, and it's a place where we can feel alone. The wilderness may not be a good place, but the wilderness can always be a God place. And verse 21 tells us that. Wilderness may not always be a good place, but the wilderness can always be a God place. Jesus found that to be true. It was the Spirit who led him to the wilderness. God with him going in, and then one gospel says, at the end of that showdown with the devil in the wilderness, the angels came and ministered to him. He was not left alone. Abraham could give that same testimony, and the people of God here could too. In a wilderness situation where the Pharaoh in the next passage is going to pursue them and try to take them, what do they get just before that as an encouragement to them? A cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. I'm with you. I'm with you. That's the refrain we find throughout the scriptures. When you get to the Psalms, and I'm not going to call them Psalms anymore, I've decided I went, and heard, went to the men's conference at First Pres of Jackson uh, a couple of months ago. Dr. David Strain is a wonderful pastor there. Uh, and he, he got up to preach and he, he used one of the Psalms, but he's from Scotland. So there's the Psalms. So you look to the Psalms. I think that's more distinguished. I'm going to use that. You look to the Psalms. And what do you see? It's this refrain over and over again. Psalm 73, 23. Yet I am with you always. You hold me by my right hand. Psalm 91, 15. He will call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. Psalm 118, 6. The Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. And then you get to the, the prophets and all the scary things that they have to say about what can happen to the people of God if they're in disobedience. All these things. And then you have Isaiah saying, when you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. And then you have centuries where the prophets are quiet and Israel finds itself in one of the darkest times under Roman occupation. And then Christmas happens. God himself is with them. That's the promise. The mystery of the gospel is this. Paul would say Christ is in you. When Jesus gathers his disciples together in his last moments, he says, I will not leave you as orphans. I am coming to you, saying that the Father would send the Spirit. God won't leave us alone, even at the very end of God's revelation. In that very book, Revelation 23, what does it say? Of all those wonderful things of heaven that we want to talk about, pearly gates, streets of gold, all those things, this is the best. God himself will be among them. God is working. God is faithful. And God will be with us. As we are in this season of asking why, in our asking, we can see that God works out his purposes. Are you letting him work? Are you, are you seeking how it is? Are you open to how God will want to work through this season? In our asking of why, we find that God is faithful. We can trust his timing. We can trust his promises. In this time of asking, we can know that God is with us. Amen and amen. Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of his Holy Spirit be with us now 
and always. And all of God's people said, amen.